Hi, everyone. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on Land of Israel Network. Yes, it's going to be another monologue today, but a short one. Um, we'll get back to interviewing soon all these books that I'm reading and all these people that I want to interview. Um, but we will get there. I just got back the, uh, late Sunday night from the trip to Norway, which was really, really, really incredible. So grateful that we were able to do that. Western Norway is just such a beautiful part of the world, possibly the most beautiful part I've ever seen, at least when it comes to nature. Uh, just the water and the trees and the snow and the water and the water and the water and the waterfalls just everywhere you look and the greenery and wow, it was really something. It was cold. It was definitely cold, but we did some great hikes to places who I, except for Bergen and Olden, which are easy names to pronounce, the rest of them, the waterfalls and all the other places, I'm just going to completely butcher the accent. So I won't try. But um, just really one of the hikes was probably definitely the hardest hike I've had for a long time over these big granite rocks and to get to this incredible waterfall that only that we were able to go behind and stand there just really unbelievable nature unbelievable beauty um and uh nice to get away just for a few days and just kind of out of the pressure cooker and and do different things with good friends and um very happy as I head into a really crazy summer that had that opportunity and uh and now I see what everybody's talking about for a long time I really want to go to Alaska um, but I don't think that's going to happen just too far uh, and too many other things to do. But hopefully this was uh, somewhat of the same thing. Didn't see the, the northern lights. It's too, the, the the nights are too short. Like we Shabbat was out at 11 o'clock at night and the sun was up really early. So I don't think like Orthodox Jews are meant to be so far north in, in the world. It just Shabbat was very, very long and I love Shabbat, but it was long. Anyway, so um, back, uh, hit the ground running um, and uh, have a lot to do, but just wanted to, I don't know, share some insights. Um, last night, there was an evening in Givara Degan in the hill, the northern hill of Efrat, and they're raising money for a mikvah for a ritual bath, which is super important and shouldn't be that hard to do when we have um, an Orthodox leaning or a government that's giving money to a lot of religious institutions, but they, they're really working hard in it, and I hope that they're successful. And if anybody's interested, uh, I can point you in the direction of the people who are doing that. Um, anyway, but they invited the four women, those of us who were very instrumental in the fight for the Dagan back in the summer of 1995. Uh, so it only Nadia Matar wasn't able to make it. She's super busy with the sovereignty movement that she began. They had a youth, they had a youth, uh, evening and the last minute she had to cancel. Um, there were a lot of women there and they were listening and it was, it was even when I look back now on what happened on Kivara Dagan, and it was a crazy couple of weeks, and the army came and took us off. And in the end, though, we were able to save that hill. It was right after the accursed Oslo Accords were signed. It was the Rabin government. There were a lot of um, a lot of betrayals of 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 promises that had been made, and 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 this misbegotten idea and oh my god then we knew but we didn't know how bad it was going to be and that the things that we were told that oh yeah we're you know we're making this agreement with with a terror organization but they've promised to change and if they don't then you know we'll undo it and of course it was nothing was undone and so much blood has flowed and 
I mean, we knew it was going to be bad. I don't know how bad it was going to be. And it's certainly, certainly not over yet. Um, and so they asked us about how it all happened. And it, it's so, it's so funny because I don't know, we just did, we just did what we had to do. And there were a lot of people, a lot of people involved. I mean, the four of us and a few others had the idea, but it never, ever, ever could have happened without a tremendous number of people being involved and really seeing, seeing a beautiful side of not just the town, but of others who came. Um, and just, uh, you know, just, I don't know. I think we were very naive, not about where we were, but about the influence that we could have, which is probably what caught the press's attention at the time. Some point, somebody should probably take, uh, this and, you know, do, I don't know, some kind of thesis over it or like some kind of film. We have a lot of material. We have a lot of newspaper articles, and uh, tapes. There was no internet then. So we were on the news every night and people taped it and all that kind of old fashioned stuff. Um, because there's, there's so much negative now that's written about the people in the communities. Um, and this was a really, this in many ways is a very, is a very positive story. Um, I was, I was thinking about it afterwards because I was definitely, at least in my opinion, more cynical than other people. And I think I was thinking about it afterwards, how it's 28 years and intervening years definitely color memory. I mean, memory is colored anyway, like anybody who's had an argument with their spouse or with anyone knows that if 10 minutes later you asked both people like what was said, you'll get two completely different versions. That's just the way it is. And we're so we're so much into like fact checking and all of that. Maybe that doesn't matter. It's the impression that people have over what was said. That is, is that is, is it more important than what was actually said? I don't know, but therapists make a tremendous amount of money of trying to answer that question. And I was trying to figure out when we got, when I got home, why, why it was like that. I mean, I, there was a tremendous, the people were incredible. The little people were incredible, but I think I was still, I had just been elected to the local council in a front where I would serve for 10 years. And I, I think I was still under the impression that the people who were involved in politics or were involved in leadership positions were doing it really for love of the land and love of the people. And it took me a while and it's been a very difficult learning curve to realize how not true a lot of that is. A lot of people are in this for their own. I mean, they start off maybe with good intentions and then things get twisted and corrupted and, and, uh, and maybe the system doesn't allow for anything different. You know, uh, if you want to get ahead, then you have to, you have to trim some, some of the boundaries or make some compromises that you weren't going to make before. Um, but I remember then still thinking like, you know, oh, we're in Judea and everybody here is amazing. And it's not true. Everybody is just like everybody else. So, well, actually, I'm not going to say that. I I, I, th I still think that a lot of the people that came and settled the hills of Yudav Shamron are definitely a cut above. And here I'm still, go and but here I can say this now from a place, not of naivete, but of, from, from experience that I've seen some incredible human beings out here um, who to some degree, and this is not my idea, this has been spoken about before, were forced to create like our own little, our own little uh, area because the little Israel, the pre-48 Israel was not amenable to, 
you know, to some of the ideas that we had. And, and so we were able to come out here and build communities that really did combine a lot of what we saw in the post-67 world as the beginnings of the Messianic Age, if you will, and, uh, you know, moving towards something bigger. But a lot of people didn't see it, didn't see it as a miracle, still don't see it as a miracle, don't see the footsteps. And it's the world that I belong to be- because I still think so highly of many individuals, not the system itself, uh, but many of the individuals who, you know, also serve in the army and work and also learn Torah and, and just really, you know, and settle the land. I mean, for me, these are the people who, for me, you know, there's a reason that I moved to Israel and the reason that I moved here and to be a part of that in any way is tremendously humbling and a tremendous privilege. And, and I realized how uncomfortable it was making me where, and it's, it's happened before, but the discomfort is still there when these women are like, wow, and that's so incredible. And you're such heroes. I don't, I don't feel like that. Um, I'm not saying this out of false modesty. I really don't feel like that. I feel like, you know, we were, there was an opportunity and we took it. Really part of it was naivete, not realizing how deep the betrayals were going to go from not just the people in the government and the people in Israel that we knew were against this enterprise, but, but from people within as well. Um, the tremendous failure, to, this was not summer of 95, the tremendous failure 10 years later, you know, to save Gush Katif. I mean, wow. Communities, Jewish communities were wiped off the map, wiped off the map by, by an Israeli government. I, I still, I still can't, you could hear it. I, I still can't grab onto that. But, but so we thought that, you know, if we fought for this hill, then it would stay Jewish. And in this, in part of Ephrat, in this case, it did. It took years. And we were up there for a few weeks. We were taken down. It was closed military zone. Um, from what we understand, though, it did have an influence on it not being given at some point in time to the Palestinian Authority in Bethlehem. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if we'll ever know if that's true. But many, many years followed on different hills that we were taken off and so much. I don't know, maybe maybe I just wasn't overthinking it, just like doing and, and thinking, you know, like this is, this is what I came to Israel to do. I didn't serve in the army. I didn't do national service because I came already married with kids. And everybody has to do something for the country. Not everybody feels that way. I understand that now. But... Uh, for me, it was like the obvious thing. You live in a place, you, there's things that are not right. It's a young country. You know, you do whatever your skill set tells you to do. But there's no question that my memories of that time are colored by what happened afterwards, for sure, for sure. And I, you know, I admit that. And I also learned a really big lesson last night on a completely different level. And because one of the things that I had said was that, if we build the mikvah to build it, to think to, to yourself, to have the mikvah uh, and then not have to use it for a few months because, you know, when you're pregnant, you don't go and to, to have an extra child, you know, to build big families. That's like hugely important. It's, it's to have the big families. I believe that. And I think that that's really the core, but, um, a young woman came up to me afterwards and she was a hundred percent right. And she said, listen, not everybody can. And of course I know that. 
And like, I don't know, you know, and I needed to have couched what I said with, you know, if you can, obviously not everybody financially can do it. Not everybody's marriage is in the place where you can, you know, bring more kids into the world. People have children with special needs and other, you know, and other issues that as much as they would like to have more children, events preclude that and reality precludes that. And, and I needed to couch what I said with that you know, but if you can, and if you're debating on that last kid, which a lot of people, you know, towards, and I know a lot of women towards the end of their thirties, early forties, like, you know, that last, um, you know, that last thing. And, and it was an insensitive comment on my part for sure. So I was very humbled by what she said. I was also, it was good. It was good to know that, uh, a, that she was, you know, brave enough to come up. She doesn't know me brave enough to come up and tell me that. And I told her that, that that was, you know, gutsy thing for her to do. I'm not so sure that if the positions were reversed and if I heard something that disturbed me, if I would have gone up to the person afterwards and said something and believe for her that she did, um, because she taught me a very big lesson, which is hugely important for me anyway. I don't know if everybody would feel that way, but I definitely feel that way that there's always learning and fine tuning that needs to be done. And I was, you know, very, very grateful for that and need to be, you know, definitely more careful um, about, you know, how I say things and, and, uh, and, you know, and, and of the people who are listening and the things that they are going through. I should know that. Um, it's happened to me enough in my life where people say things, um, you know, like just throw them out, um, not understanding that generalizations aren't helpful and that we're all living with our own traumas and our own situations that other people don't know about, will never know about, don't need to know about, but all that, those kinds of like trite phrases, like, you know, I just read somewhere, oh, you know, like, uh, you're not an adult until you're forgiven your parents. Well, you know, for some people, myself included, there are certain things that uh, are not forgivable. And uh, to put that out there and just add to guilt and to difficulties that a lot of us have uh, isn't helpful. And I, I try and be careful. Last night, I wasn't careful enough. And, and I learned that. And it's, it's important, especially, you know, because I am out there and I am speaking and people are listening, apparently. So there's a responsibility when one is doing that to also be extremely careful to not hurt so, you know, it's great to inspire and to help and whatever. And thank God I'm able to do that. But uh, there's also responsibility to not hurt and to not make people feel that they can't do something or should do something that they can't do. And that's, that's, uh, that's super important and a lesson that was once again handed to me that was, uh, that I'm very grateful to have learned. Also the cheesecake was amazing. I can't get to stay too serious for too long, but, um, it's just in general, I was just thinking about, you know, memory and, and how it, it's changed, you know, it gets changed and you can take people who went through the same thing and have, very different, uh, very different memories of it. That's just, you know, who we are. But it was interesting. It was just interesting to see the generation of women. These are all young women who now live on the hill, who had no idea, you know, they were saying like, they're just, you know, the sidewalk and their view and they had no idea of the fragility of that neighborhood, how it almost didn't come to be, you know, and what we went through. It is really a great story when I think about it. Um, it is. And uh, I've just been like, like even woke in the middle of the night thinking to myself, why is it that, that I'd look back and I remember the lighter moments and there were plenty of lighter moments and there was, but there were also, um, 
like we didn't know, we didn't know it was going to be obviously in hindsight, things have a little more clarity than they, than they did at the time. But I think also there was, there was no internet then and there were really no cell phones. And so the news, you know, the news came out because we were something different. We weren't like the, the, you know, the Gush Emunim. We weren't the awesome women of Hebron, the, the, you know, Rebbe Levenger and others who had gone down there in 1968 and stayed in a hotel and not left. And, and it was mentioned last night also because of them, and they were tremendous inspiration, but because of them and what they did, we now go to, we're able to go to Hebron. People don't, I don't think necessarily realize that, that the access to Hebron uh, was, you know, because there's Jews living there, because there is a community there. And there's a lot of criticism about the community, some justified, most not. Um, but uh, it's a very, very tough place to live, but it's because of the people that live there, and mainly the women who really started off doing that and said there's just no way that there isn't going to be another, you know, the reestablishment of a Jewish community in Hebron, that we were able to go there and go to the Tomb of the Patriarchs and tour around at least part of it, you know, the 3% that isn't under the control of the Palestinian Authority. We don't have that in Bethlehem. We don't have that in Shechem, which is why it's so difficult to get to the Tomb of Joseph. Yeah, Efrat is not, it wasn't, you know, settled by Arabs and it wasn't a Palestinian Authority city, but this was definitely uh, a neighborhood that could have gone uh, in different ways. And I'm um, grateful to have, you know, played a small role. I think that's really what surprises me the most about by the last, it's almost 35 years, Kafchet Sivan, we're now in the month of Sivan, today, if I didn't mention it, 23rd of May, <laughs> I can't remember, 2023, and the third day of Sivan, 5783, um, we're in, in, on the 28th of Sivan, it's 35 years since we moved to Israel, and it's been the wildest ride of our lives, for sure, and I just thought we would just, it would just be enough to live here, and it turns out that for many reasons, it wasn't, that it's a small country, it's at a critical part of our existence as a people, and that you can't just really sit on the sidelines here. I didn't understand that so much when we got here. I didn't understand a lot of things well, 35 years ago. Uh, but now I understand that you have to at least try and make a difference, and sometimes it's not going to happen. Like I said, with Gush Katif, tremendous effort that we made. It wasn't successful, at least not from where I'm sitting right now. It wasn't successful. Who knows? Who knows what will be? Um, definitely haven't closed out history yet. Um, but, uh, it was, it's, you know, I need to sit with that having been part of something, of something positive. And, um, it's a good lesson for me to like focus on that aspect of it, be able to take, be able to take the compliments of the women. I'm trying to figure out why that was so hard for me. Um, don't feel heroic. Don't, don't feel like that. I feel like, you know, I have a role to play in the Jewish people and I'm very happy, you know, for the gifts that I have and for the knowledge that I can pass on and thinking that I get people to do. But the word hero just doesn't, just doesn't sit. Maybe because I'm surrounded by so many people who really are heroes in the sense of saving lives and, you know, doing massive changes. So it, it doesn't fit for me because I'm so not in that league. But, um, but I guess for people who, you know, haven't yet had the opportunity to be a part of something bigger. So I guess, I guess that's what it looks like. Uh, and it's a matter as, as usual and as always of, um, of perspective. 
so it was just interesting. It was uh, an interesting evening, an interesting time period uh, that, you know, came back up now. And I know that my, my grandson, my nine-year-old grandson, who lives on that hill and who didn't know this story and just found out about it, so he's proud of me. And so maybe that is the best thing of all um, to, you know, be able to like, you know, inspire grandchildren or say like, wow, you know, she makes really good cookies, but she, which I do, but she also, um, does other things like, you know, above and beyond so that I'm going to sit with that and I'm going to sit with that, try and figure out why it's hard for me to sit with that. Uh, throw that out there to all of you, because I'm sure that you're all have something going on like that where you should be able to, you know, accept it accept the good that you did. Also, as I said before, you know, to, to my, the lesson, the really big lesson that I learned was the opposite side of it. You know, it was an interesting balance of on the one hand, you know, being praised for something and on the other hand going, whoa, I really messed that one up. So, but I guess, I guess that's what my life is. And most of our lives are, is like sitting in between those things, learning to be better, but also being able to hold the things that we have been successful with. Anyway, that's it for my uh, stream of consciousness for today. Um, have a wonderful Shavuot. If you celebrate Shavuot, totally my favorite holidays I've mentioned before. And very cool to be living in the place where the book happens, right outside the fields of Beit Lechem. And literally, I woke up this morning, went outside, looked at the mountains of Moab, at the sun coming up over the mountains of Moab, which is Runomi and Elimelech Go. And then, you know, towards the city of Bethlehem, very different than it was then, obviously, but it's still right there. And just, you know, see the wild wheat growing, go like, wow, this is an old story and we are continuing it. And how amazing is that to be able to just like picture them, you know, walking back and this beautiful story of loving kindness, which is so important, of accepting of the other, which is so important. And of, uh, you know, and of everybody like playing out the roles that they're supposed to play, but, but act, but actively, you know, not just like waiting for events to happen, but, uh, but actively getting out there, making the impression that Ruth, you know, she needs to make on boss, very important. And then she does it and it changes the course of history. That's where the Davidic dynasty comes from. So there's a lot of meaning and a lot of messages in that story and a lot of inspiration um, for me personally, for women in general, and for us as a nation. And I just always find it really, really funny that as far as I know, please correct me if I'm wrong, it's the only biblical story of a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. That relationship is not really harped on too much in the Bible. Um, Like the matriarchs, you know, the next generation shows up at least as far as we know, at least as far as what's written, um, only when the other one is already gone, right? Rebecca only shows up after Sarah's gone. So that's interesting. That is definitely interesting. Like, you know, even the Torah couldn't get into that. There were some things that were even too big and too complicated for the Torah. And I'm saying that as somebody who has three daughters-in-law whom I love very much. But it's just... uh Sometimes what's not written is is funny. Got to keep our sense of humor. Anyway, everyone, you should be well. I will be back next week with an interview. Got it already planned. I'm already going to be taping it uh, by the end of this week. So it'll be all ready for you. And uh, you'll hear someone else's voice 
besides my own and some ideas besides my own Eve Harrow uh, thanks so much to Ben and to Tabitha for getting this show out even though I know they're super busy this week short week and a lot going on for them so very much appreciate it Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network take care everybody goodbye for now Zionism Political and secular, says Ben-Gurion, held that Israel must be redeemed by its own efforts and by natural agency, that the Jewish people on its own must create the foundations of a new life. Well, I'm definitely looking to found a new life for my people in the land, although I'm not so sure we can do it on our own. I'm Rav Mike Foyer, and this is The Jewish Story. Join Rav Mike Foyer for the best Jewish history podcast, The Jewish Story. On the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.